0: This is a special presentation of the Project Recovery Podcast.
1: We would kneel together and he'd pray his prayer and I'd pray mine. So, this six months that I went
0: back to jail turned into
1: the turning point of my life.
0: The role of faith in recovery. Here are the hosts of the Project Recovery Podcast, Casey Scott and Dr. Matt Woolley, on KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Hey, welcome to Project Recovery Conference
2: Edition. Uh, it's, we're talking about the role of faith in recovery. I'm Casey Scott and my co-host is always the beautiful, the talented, the wonderful Dr. Matt Woolley. (laughs) So over the course of the next hour, we're going to bring back some of our guests from the podcast talking about the role of faith in recovery. We're going to bring back some of our favorite guests from the past. Dr. Matt, how important do you think the role of faith is in recovery?
3: Oh, I think it's very important. Um, it sometimes is referred to by different things. We've had so many guests over the last couple of years talk about faith, basically a, a moment of faith, a moment of inspiration. Clarity. Uh, clarity, spirituality, um, whether that's tied to religious beliefs specifically or not. as Those are the moments, the turning points. Sometimes people say my rock bottom was there and then I had this moment of inspiration and, and that really headed me in the direction of the recovery that I have today. And so I actually, I'm excited for this opportunity to kind of slow down and hone in on, you know, try to highlight one consistent area of recovery that we've found on our show with our guests and just with people that we know, of course, in our regular life. And maybe just to to set the stage a little bit for our listeners, the reason we're referring to this as a conference edition, a faith-based edition is because here in the state of Utah, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is prominent, of course, and twice a year they have a a worldwide conference where leaders of the church get together and discuss elements of faith. And uh, this being a a podcast where, surprisingly, surprisingly, it wasn't our intention, but surprisingly we've had, uh, or maybe to some people not surprisingly, we've had a lot of people come on, whether they're religious or not, and share moments of faith and inspiration. And so... I feel like it's a pivotal point in many of the stories of recovery, and one of the elements that keeps people in recovery is that connection to a higher power, a feeling of inspiration and spirituality.
2: But I think we need to address the elephant in the room that this can't be the only thing you do for your recovery. You can't uh, pray – a disease away. I mean, that's not how this works. I, at least for me, it's not how it works. I think it's an important part of recovery, but you've got to have other things as well. So we brought in a guy today. His name is Todd Sylvester. He's a counselor at Wasatch Recovery. He's also a life coach, but he's got an amazing story of recovery. As of today, he's celebrating 32 years of sobriety. And he, uh, he says one of the most instrumental things in his recovery was your faith, was your aha moment, and tell me a little bit about that, Todd.
4: Yeah, so again, I I wasn't raised LDS or religious uh, by any stretch, but uh, it was one of those moments where I reached out to a higher power to God and... I got, a, I got a response. And. But I think
2: we should probably talk about the experience you had. Uh, you'll be able to hear his whole story if you go to our podcast page and download the podcast with Todd Sylvester. But you said after years of partying, uh, you were living in a house that you called the dirty house. You said the outsides masked your insides yeah. because you felt dirty inside. Yeah. You were actually driving home contemplating suicide but for some reason decided to go to the local university where all your buddies hang out. And at this table, there was two missionary girls who sat next to you. And you said, by your own words, over the course of the school year, you gave them nothing but problems.
4: Yeah. Yeah, I was not nice to these two girls. And this particular day that you're referring to, I'm going home to end my life. And I overhear these two girls talking about fasting and prayer. And for some reason, the word fasting just hit me so hard. I thought, what is that? I, I honestly didn't know what it was. And so I asked these two girls as they got up to go to their class, hey, what what is that? And they thought I was like going to mock them. And I'm like, no, I'm serious. Like, what is that? And they go on to explain what this is. And as they get done explaining it to it, I said, well, you know, in my point, I'm going, what's the point? And they said, if you want help from God. And for the first time, I thought, is there a God and would he help me? And so I decided at that point, I'm going to go and do that.
2: Now, so you started the morning uh, on your knees praying to God, mm-hmm. and then you began your fast. Uh, you said it was harder than you had imagined.
4: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I uh, First time I woke up without, you know, popping a pill or smoking a anything or having a drink and i you know you're not supposed to eat or drink during a fast that's what fast means right yeah i made it till about noon and i and the girls told me to end the fast with a prayer so i did that as well i ended with a prayer saying god i i did this fast and if you're there i need help did he yeah not immediately no i nothing happened in that moment i thought wow what you know i again i'm an infant in this i don't know what's going on and Um, nothing happened in that moment. And it wasn't until about a month later, I got a phone call from a good friend of mine that I played basketball with. Hadn't talked to him since high school. It's been several years. He calls me up and says, I need to talk to you today. I go over to his place. We sit down just like we're sitting here. And he just starts saying all these good things about me. And at this point, I'm a mess in my life and the addictions, I'm at the height of it. And I'm doing all these horrible things. And as he's saying these nice things, I stop him because it makes me uncomfortable. I said, what, why are you saying these things? You know, and he goes, Todd, I didn't go to work today because there's a message I need to share with you. And I'm like, what's going on? And I can tell he's nervous to say something. Long pause, takes a deep breath, and he just says, Hey, the Lord came to me last night and says, We need you on our side today. And when that happened, I knew that that was an answer to the fast and prayer.
2: That's an answer. Yeah. So throughout this episode, we're going to be talking about the role of faith in recovery. We're going to bring back some of our favorite guests from the past and talk about their aha moments. We're going to talk about it with Dr. Matt and Todd. You're listening to Project Recovery right here on KSL.
0: You're listening to the role of faith in recovery. Hear more of Casey Scott and Dr. Matt Woolley on Project Recovery, wherever you find great podcasts.
2: Hey, welcome back to Project Recovery Conference Edition. Today we're talking about the role of faith in recovery. What does that mean? That means myself, Casey Scott, and Dr. Matt Woolley and our guest Todd Sylvester today are going to talk about some of our past guests, when they had their moments of clarity, when they had their spiritual enlightenment, whatever they found to help them get on the road to recovery. My first question is to Dr. Matt, Dr. Matt, how important do you think faith is when it comes to recovery?
3: Well, faith or moments of clarity, spirituality, inspiration are a common theme over the last uh, several years of our show in interviewing people uh individuals who maybe are religious or or have no religious um, experience in their life have expressed that 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 moment of faith, that moment of inspiration is the catalyst to change for them, and it 's a powerful moment um, you know. Uh, I think sometimes we try to think our way through problems and we use rational thinking, which is very helpful, but it's these these emotional, spiritual, powerful catalyst moments that really, I think, send people down that road to recovery and um, it's, um, you know, I think you and I have both sometimes been left speechless listening to some of those uh, moments where a person shares how, how how a moment of faithful inspiration really changed uh their whole perspective on life and themselves and uh motivated them uh to to seek
2: recovery uh, todd uh, a couple years back we had Christian Smith on the podcast, and uh you know him yes uh he holds Love the record him. for most swears on our podcast, but this <laughs> is his aha moment. listen to this.
5: the monkeys in my head hold a committee committee meeting, and one of them suggests. You know you got forty bucks, and you're pretty stressed. Maybe instead of going down to the courthouse right now, you just go downtown for a minute, alleviate that stress, and then go to the courthouse. So we take a vote, and I'm certain it was unanimous. Um, the monkeys. <laughs> so I'm now driving around Pioneer Park because I, I know that gig back in that day. You didn't have to get your car. Meet Ice with somebody who's going to do what we need. The phone rings again. It's my counselor, Jason Webb, my counselor and dear friend. Now, I. Listen to his voicemails. The first couple were, hey, this is Jason. I'm concerned about you. Call me. It crescendoed to the middle of the week to about as assertive, as aggressive as he can get. Hey, this is ridiculous. But he's an LDS guy that doesn't say that. So this is ridiculous. Call me. But the last message he left was the message that saved my life and the final catalytic event. This is the message he left. Christian, it's Jason. Have I told you I love you lately? That message gave me enough courage to pick up the phone and say, I'm not in a good place. Not fear of reprisal and judgment. I'm just not in a good place. He just opened that door by saying, I'm not judging you, brother. I just love you. And so I called him and I went back for 30 more days and that was February 4th, 2010. During that time, my brain lights went on where I figured out it never worked for me. That was supposed to be 40 bucks – In an hour or so turned into 10 days. And I had looked back and looked back and looked back. Not one time did it ever work. And so my brain light went on and said, maybe you ought to just figure a different way, brother. And I made a commitment that day. I'm not doing it anymore. I married a a woman who's a strong personality. I got four kids. Now we got five and a half grandkids. I got a lot of stress in my life. (laughs) So, But I made the commitment. I'm not picking up. So we communicate better. Kelly, I say stuff like, Kelly, did you purposely try to offend me when, with what you just said? And she goes, no, what are you talking about? We we don't mind read anymore. We we spend more quality time. I'm more open honest. The gifts of recovery for me have been – I thought this God I knew as a kid was – loved me contingent upon my doing all the things all the time. Right. And if I wasn't, then out of the pool. Smith, get the hell out of the pool. You're out of the pool. When the God I understand now that was given to me through recovery and 12 Steps and AA, the God I know now says this. And the light bulb went on some years early in recovery when I'm still not sure about it. A guy says, Smith, you got this problem with God. You have four kids. Is there anything your kids could do to stop you from loving them? And I thought, no. He said, you sure? And so I thought, well, I've raised four teenagers and Sarah is a pain in the butt. <laughs> but no, there's nothing. I'm familiar with – frustration and disappointment, but nothing they could do stop me from loving them. No. And then he said the magic words. Do you think God could feel that way about God's kids? And I'm going, holy cow. That feels like that might be true. And if it is true, I could have a relationship with that God. You mean you're just going to love me be- because I'm your kid, not because I do or don't do anything? Unconditional. Unconditional love. First time I felt it.
2: You know, Todd, the thing about that clip is the three simple words "I love you" yeah. meant the world to Christian. Uh, what are your takes on that?
4: You know, I, there's a there's a beautiful scripture that goes along with that. First John four eight it says, "He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love." And just hearing those things, I mean, it's it's like what we're yearning for, especially when we're in addiction. We feel like no one loves us. We don't even love ourselves. And so to hear those powerful words, I mean, I there's power in a word, right? And so him hearing that, um, I mean, I, I I had the chills just hearing how he described that, and I I think it's, you know, that that's a very powerful thing. I think that's when we feel God in our lives is when we feel love.
2: Now, you work as a counselor to Recovery Center here in Utah, and I'm sure you sit down with people all the time that say, I'm not going to do 12-step because I don't believe in God. Yeah. I don't do this, and I don't yeah. do that. Uh, what do you say to somebody who's not ready to hear a message? Uh, you know, I mean, how, how, do, how do you get through to them?
4: Oh, I love this question. I get it all the time. What I say to them, I read in a book a line that just changed my life. Um, God doesn't have love. God is love. So I I always look at that person. Can we agree? Can we use the word love for a second? Mm -hmm. And they'll say, yeah. And I say, when my four-year-old granddaughter walks into the room, guess what the whole room fills? They go, love. And I go, why? Because she's love. Okay, if she's love, that means you're love and so am I. How does love connect with love? You give away love. And I go, so in those moments, that's when you connect with your higher powers. When I do something nice for you, you do something nice for someone. You feel love, they felt love, or in other words, you just connected with God.
2: And you're listening to Project Recovery, and throughout the rest of the program, once again, we're talking about the role of faith in recovery. You're listening to Project Recovery right here on KSL.
1: This is
0: a special presentation of the Project Recovery Podcast.
1: We would kneel together and he'd pray his prayer and I'd pray mine. So, this six months that I went back to jail turned into the turning point of my life.
0: The role of faith in recovery. Here are the hosts of the Project Recovery Podcast, Casey Scott and Dr. Matt Woolley, on KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Welcome back to Project Recovery Conference Edition. Today, we're talking
2: about the role in faith in recovery. I'm Casey Scott. That is Dr. Matt Woolley. We're also uh, having uh, Todd Sylvester sitting with us, and he's kind of going some of our past guests and kind of where their faith began and got them on their road to recovery. Now, Dr. Matt, we're going to talk about an old-time friend, Dr. Rod Gardner. And do you remember Rod Gardner? Love Rod. Love Rod. Really, really powerful story. He was a dentist, an oral surgeon, I believe, uh, and found himself in a bad way.
3: Well, you know, it's interesting. And, and I think Rod's story is one of those that sort of clued us into the fact that we're seeing this pattern over and over again in our guests of people having these powerful spiritual moments at a point in life where you and I usually refer to it as rock bottom. They're about as low as they can get. And and Rod's story, just to kind of refresh everyone or to set it up for people who haven't heard it yet, um, you know, Rod was an esteemed member of his community, small town in northern Utah. He's a, a dentist that everyone goes and sees and works with. and He's a very personable guy, but because of his addiction to opioids, he started breaking the law. You know, he started stealing and writing false prescriptions, and eventually, um, you know, lost his license and committed federal crimes. So, not, this isn't just you know slap your wrist and, and you know you have to take a break from work. But he lost everything and ended up in federal prison.
2: And this is where we hear from Rod.
1: We were in 23 hour lockdown for two months. So you you ate in your cell. You everything. You get to come out for one hour to. Take a shower. If somebody did something wrong in the tear, you didn't get a break. You could be in your cell for three, four, five days at a time. Wow. And uh, I'm down there with nothing to deal with my anxiety. So it's through the roof. I'm not sleeping. I can't even explain how bad it is. Anyone who's gone to prison and survives it comes out and is uh, anywhere near a contributing member of society, I just have a ton of respect for them. I've been bouncing off the bottom for a long time. They've excommunicated me from the church. And I just remember laying in this cell back in Cache County thinking, you know, sometimes when you're in a really bad situation, you can think of one good thing. (laughs) It's like, okay, I'm going to focus on that one good thing. There was nothing. And uh, they brought the razors in one night and they count the razors, you know, when they bring them in and take them out. And I took one of them and I busted it up and I got the, the blade out of it and flushed all the plastic down the toilet stuck in the bottom of my shoe. And I didn't see any way out. I wasn't a member of the church anymore. So God didn't like, you know, I was alone and, uh, going back to prison terrified me. And I knew that's where I was going. And I'd take my towel and wrap it around my head to block out the light and the noise. And I just lay on my bunk. And I, I remember just laying there trying to say a prayer and just be, I'd get ha- a little ways into it, and I just couldn't even pray. I was so wound up and and but after weeks of trying, I finally started to find some peace. I was in the cell with about thirty guys, it's like triple bunks and and the jail commander decided to offer me a job uh in the kitchen, so they pulled me out of there, and they put me in a cell with five other guys. And I was starting to meditate, and, and forced meditation really works. You know, it's hard now that I'm out in life, but it's amazing what you can do when your back's against the wall. And, and I started to find peace in meditation and prayer, and that's all I wanted to do. And when I got in this cell with these other five guys, I, I had this longing to kneel down and and pray. But I didn't know how it was going to go over, you know. But one night I decide, okay, the lights go dim. They never go dark in jail. They they got to be able to watch you. So the lights go dim, and I kneel down and say a prayer, and and I just kept doing that every morning and every night for a while. <clears throat> and I don't know how long it was, but one night I kneel down and I start to pray, and I feel my my bunk move next to me, and I look out the corner of my eye and. This uh, other inmate is kneeling next to me, and I remember thanking God that I was there. I remember being so full of gratitude that I was there. And uh, before I finished my prayer, he hopped up and got back in his bed. But the next day, he grabs me. He's all, oh, hey, doc, I knelt down by you last night, but I don't know how to pray. Will you teach me how to pray? And so I go back to my missionary days, and we, I teach him the s- steps of prayer, and then he and I start praying together every night. You know, not out loud, but we would kneel together, and he'd pray his prayer, and I'd pray mine. And eventually, another guy joined us. So this six months that I went back to jail turned into the turning point of my life. It's, and my sponsor told me all along, that one day if you get through this, you will look at all this horrible stuff as the greatest blessing of your life. And that's what it became. That is such an emotional story,
2: Dr. Matt. I mean, I I got chills just re-listening to that. I think the power of prayer is amazing. Dr. Matt, over the three years that we have done this podcast, we have probably had a dozen or so people who said that was the first time that they ever really prayed. And, and I think there's something to that, that they have tried everything else. And so they says, what do I have to lose? So I'm going to get down on bended knee. I'm going to look towards the heaven and I'm going to ask for help. I think there is a real power in prayer. Would you agree, Dr. Matt? Oh, for sure. We've had a lot of great
3: stories about people talking about, whether they were trained as a child to know how to pray or they had never been trained how to pray, that in a moment I would throw in the word humility. Often a person I know feels like they're at their rock bottom and they're reaching out for that connection. And prayer is is a way that, that uh, people have always you know, tried to make that connection to a higher power. And the thing I noticed that's one of the common factors for, for people, whether it's Rod's story or our
2: guest today, Todd's story, Um, is the humility in asking for help. When you bent down on your knees to pray to God in that closet in the dirty house, what were you hoping for?
4: You know, I was hoping for an answer to my suffering. I wanted the suffering to stop. And And before that,
2: had you ever prayed before?
4: No. Uh, I mean, I, I knew what prayer was, but like this was the first time that I could ever remember that it was sincerely like I was desperate and I needed help. And so... Yeah, that was one of those moments that I was looking for the end of my suffering.
2: But prayer was kind of a reoccurring thing in your recovery. Absolutely. Tell me about the story of you and a little lemonade girl.
4: Yeah, so, you know, I'm a bartender and I'd get tips from the waiters and waitresses and anyone at the bar and I'd keep the change in the cup holders of my car. And this particular day that you're referring to, Casey, is I'm driving out of my neighborhood and I see this little girl out of the corner of my eye selling lemonade I just drive right on past, don't think anything of it. And then I had this impression, right? You can call it the spirit, said, hey, turn around and give her all the money in your car. I thought, wow, that'll be awesome. So I turn my car around and uh, I pull up to this cute little girl and she's selling lemonade. And I said, how much for a cup of lemonade? She said, 25 cents. I'll take one. She pours it. I put it on my dashboard and I tell her to cup her hands in front of her like this. and, And I just start scooping all this money into her hand and she's freaking out. And, you know, her, her reactions like tattooed on my brain and, and I'm still, it takes me like 10 scoops to get all this money to her. And the last scoop she throws on the table and takes off into the house. And I'm thinking she's going to go tell her parents, some dude just gave her a million dollars. Right. (laughs) And as I pull away, I start to cry. Like I've never cried before in my entire life. Because for the first time I could ever remember, I actually made someone's day. Because you know, in addiction, we become the most selfish people on the planet.
2: Master manipulators, absolutely, doing whatever we can to feed yeah. our addict.
4: And I cried. It was one of those soul cleansing cries. And as I was crying in those mo- in that moment, I felt like I mattered. I loved who I was. I wanted to be clean and sober. I wanted to do the right thing. And that was the the beginning of me changing my life and listening to that impression was everything and it is amazing i gave all my money to this girl and i got my life back
2: but you not only did it that one time you did it a couple other times yeah i did it for the next
4: every saturday for the next two and a half months and so and every time I'd pull up she would just be like, "Oh my gosh, here's the guy again," right? Like yeah. she was like looking at me like, "How much money is going to give me today?" And I just keep doing this.
2: So after that, you decide, "Hey, I'm going to give this church thing a shot." Yeah. And you find yourself in the back row yep. uh of the LDS church.
4: Yep, I'm in back there and thinking I'll stay for a few minutes, but I look on the other side of the chapel and there's that little lemonade girl with her mom and she sees me and recognizes me and starts waving and telling her mom, there's the guy right there, you know? And and so I end up staying for the entire uh, uh, service. Service. And as they wa- they start to walk over towards me, my heart's pounding. I'm like, what's going on here? And the mom's crying, and she comes up and gives me this big hug. She's in my ear, and she says, thank you so much for what you've done for my daughter. And I said, no, you have no idea what this has done for me. It's changed my life. I'm like, I want to, you know, I was on fire, right? And she said, well, we have a favor to ask you, and then that's when they invited me to take her to a daddy-daughter date.
2: Because her dad wasn't there, and then you find yourself at that dinner doing a prayer.
4: Doing a prayer. They're blessing the hot dogs and Kool-Aid, which I thought was strange because, again, I'm an infant in the whole thing. And during this prayer, I hear a voice in my head that says, Todd, you're in the right place doing the right thing, and you made an impact on this girl's life she'll never forget. And I lose it, and it was in that moment that I, was, I knew I was done.
2: We're talking about the power of prayer. We're also talking about the role of faith in recovery. And that's pretty amazing to have that kind of a reaction. Uh, so yeah. let me ask you now, do you pray all the time?
4: Yeah. I, yeah, I try to pray every day. I, I, I'm sure I miss a few days, but, uh, but yeah, I've always uh, utilized prayer in my recovery This you know, for the last 30 years.
2: Now, Dr. Matt, you're also uh, into meditation. Uh, some would say that meditation is kind of like praying. Uh, do you agree? I would say it's kind of like praying, sure.
3: I think, you know, it's a moment of um, stillness and, and introspection and calmness. Um, but I would say prayer is a little different in the sense that, you know, prayer is an act of humility. And if there's one thing that yeah. a person is not, usually when they're in their active addiction, it's it's not humble. You know, um, like you've said, master manipulator and 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 just doing all the selfish things that you can do. And... I think that's one of the, the specifically important differences about prayer is that prayer is an act of humility where you, you literally are humbling yourself and asking, asking for a higher power to help and guide
2: you. I love it. Hey, you're listening to Project Recovery Conference Edition right here on KSL. We're talking about the role of faith in recovery. Coming up, we've got more. We'll listen to Rob Eastman's story
0: right here on KSL. You're listening to The Role of Faith in Recovery. Hear more of Casey Scott and Dr. Matt Woolley on Project Recovery, wherever you find great podcasts.
2: Welcome back to Project Recovery Conference Edition. Today, we're talking about the role of faith in recovery. I am Casey Scott. My co-host is Dr. Matt Woolley. We're joined by Todd Sylvester, and we're kind of going over some of the past guests and their aha moments. Now, Todd, the thing about addiction is it makes you do things you normally wouldn't do. People say, why would you do that? And the reality is, is that the addict brain is taken over, and it's doing what it needs to get what it wants. Mm -hmm. We find ourselves listening to Rob Eastman right now. He just found out he was a father. He's in the delivering room, and all he can think about is doing drugs in the bathroom. But it all comes to light when he asks for help. Listen to this.
6: And anytime I felt anxiety, I would have to get high, right? So I'm in the delivery room, in the bathroom, trying to shoot up. I can't find the vein, and I hear everything's getting closer to being born. And then I finally get it, and I walked out as as they were pulling my daughter out. They got her breathing and they wrapped her up and I'm holding her for a second. And my family wants me to come out. And so I went out there long enough to show my family. And then I went back in, I gave her to my wife and I, and I went to my drug dealer's house. It got to the point where I couldn't go to work. So my job was to stay home and take care of the baby while my wife who just had a baby had to go to work. And that turned into me taking the diaper and food money and going buying dope. That thought process keeps coming through my head about suicide. Like, if I accidentally overdose, that's not a suicide. So I went out and uh, I put eight balloons in a spoon, drew it up, and that's enough to kill this entire room and probably three more down the street. And in my head, the worst thing happened. I woke up the next day. I'm sitting there thinking, like, man, I can't even kill myself right. And uh, my dad came around and sat across from me and handed me a piece of paper. And uh, he said, read it. And I was like, what is it? He's like, just read it. And I started reading it and it was my obituary. All I had was my car and I went and sat down and I slept in my car down by Pioneer Park for about three days. And uh, my ego was still so big at that point that I wasn't going to be homeless. And the only way I could see my daughter is if I had supervised visitation, which gave me an end to get into my parents' house to get a gun. So I went up. Kissed my daughter, went to the bathroom when really I went in and snuck in and got a gun and uh, gave my mom a hug, gave my dad a hug. And so I went up above the Bountiful Temple. There's some benches up there that overlook the temple on the mountain above it. I knelt down and I put the gun in my mouth and I started pulling the trigger. And uh, these visions of my mom and my daughter popped into my head. And my mom, she's a pretty religious lady and she loved God so much and I absolutely hated him. And I'm like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to pray to her God so that when he doesn't answer my prayer, that when she dies, she can go look him in his face and say, you failed me. So I knelt down and I said a little prayer. I said, I don't know anything about a still small voice. I'm going to need something a little bit louder than that. And if I open my eyes and I don't get a sign, I'm going to pull the trigger. And right as I went to open my eyes, this is August 31st, 2009, a firework display went off above the temple. And I was sitting there like, is this the frickin' sign? And, uh, shortly after that i heard a voice that said is that loud enough and i don't know if that was in my subconscious or if i actually heard it or what but i was paralyzed and i laid there bawling for about 25 minutes and i couldn't move got up drove down to my parents house told them what had happened i drove myself straight to lds hospital checked into detox and went to renaissance ranch
2: And as of today, he's 13 years sober. That's a powerful story, talking about faith and recovery. Dr. Matt, I remember listening to that the first time and thinking, wow, maybe that's how God works. He asked, and he got it. But that's not always how it works, right? No, it isn't. You know, I I was... uh...
3: Listening to that again, still trying to think of what holiday it is on August 10th, <laughs> you know, where you'd have fireworks going <laughs> I off. I thought and, the same thing, uh, they're, and, and, they're, and that's what makes it even more yeah. mystical,
2: is maybe it was just somebody doing random fireworks, but it was a message, and it meant the world to him, and it set him on his road to recovery.
3: It did, and I guess my thought is, and I love Rob, and I really appreciate all that he does for everyone, and I love that there are people like Rob that have those stories to tell because they really are inspirational To the average listener, though, maybe to people who've knelt down and prayed and not seen fireworks or heard a voice, um, I think it's important to realize that um, uh, reaching out for a higher power, feeling spirituality in your life, accepting guidance and and utilizing the power of prayer isn't always something that other people would recognize. Most of the time it's something that's very personal, and, and it is sometimes a still small voice or a small impression that a person feels. Um, again, I think it comes back to when a person gets to the point that they really, really desperately need that connection, uh, in order to move forward with life.
4: Yeah. And I agree with you. I think we want complexity. I think we, as human beings, we try to overcomplicate this whole thing and that gets us stuck. Sometimes it's a fireworks, like, uh, you know, and sometimes, you know, like what Dr. Matt was saying, sometimes it's a, a word that someone said to you or it's a feeling or an impression but we do we we quickly discount it and say no it's got to be something more than that but in reality it's actually pretty simple but yet we want to overcomplicate it and then discount oh well the fireworks that was a fluke but actually no look what it did like look how long he's been clean now he's doing amazing I you
2: love know, it. And the thing that I've really loved about this uh, episode uh, of Role of Faith in Recovery is that it comes in grand ways. It comes in simple ways. It comes in soft ways. But it is there. I think we need to be in tune with ourselves, ask ourselves what we want, look to our higher power, and ask yeah. for help. And if you listen, help is there. Absolutely. And so thank you very much for sitting with us this week here on Project Recovery uh, Conference Edition. Dr. Matt, is there any takeaways from this episode that you could leave the people with?
3: You know, I think it's one of our themes, Casey, and that is that the opposite of addiction is not sobriety. It's what? Connection. And today we're talking about connection, you know, on just what we normally talk about, but connection with our faith, with spirituality, with a higher power, with the tools of things like prayer and fasting as demonstrated by Todd's wonderful story. And so I would say if you're feeling low today, if you're struggling with addiction or someone in your family is, think in terms of connection. Connection will, I
2: think, guide you in the right direction. We want to thank our guest, Todd Sylvester, for stopping by today. If people want to find out more information about you and what you offer, where do they go?
4: They can go to my website, toddinspires.com.
2: And uh, you can get all the information you need about uh, Todd. Uh, I love you. I mean it. Thank you for stopping by and listening to the special edition of Project Recovery for a Conference Weekend. Be good out there. Love one another. And don't forget, Project Recovery is a KSL podcast.